welcome to another edition of the Men in Tights podcast. I do sincerely hope you are all having a lovely weekend that you will hopefully have an even better weekend. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Radio Public, or YouTube. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at IamFositude for any and all podcast information. <sighs> it's been quite the week for a lot of things going on and... None of that has anything to do with uh, what I'm going to be talking about on this podcast, but before I get into that, I just wanted to say I hope you, again, are having a lovely week, and I hope you all check out my San Diego Comic-Con podcast from last week. I uh, was supposed to have uploaded it on last Friday, the 25th or 26th, I don't remember what day, uh, and said I put it on Saturday, the 27th. Which was the exact one year anniversary of the premiere of the first episode of the Minutites podcast. Uh, so I guess it kind of just worked out well for that. Uh, but just like I said, I, when I, as I said on that podcast, I was just not feeling my best on there for that week. Um, if my if I didn't give the best podcast for you guys, if I didn't deliver the best quality of product that I worked to present to you all, then I sincerely apologize for that, um, and just, I mean, I'm doing a little better this week so far, um, recording this on Monday evening after Monday Night Raw, so I'm hoping that this will be a better week for me, and as of right now, um, I mean, I, my head upstairs, you know, not physically, but mentally upstairs, still not the best, but hopefully... Uh, as the week progresses for me, it will be a much better one. Um, but enough of that. Uh, let's get on to today's topic, because uh, today's episode is all about a man who is known by many nicknames in the world of professional wrestling. He is the Second City Saint, the Straight Edge Superstar, the Straight Edge Savior, the Voice of the Voiceless, the Best in the World, no, I'm not talking about Shane McMahon. I am talking about Mr. Philip Brooks, a.k.a. C.M. Punk. Ah, C.M. Punk, uh, he, as of right now at least, is a former professional wrestler uh, who... Tried to step foot into the octagon and try his hand at UFC mixed martial arts fighting. Uh, had two fights so far, and as of right now, I don't think he's going to have any others in the near future. Uh, because those two fights uh, were not exactly the best outings. But then again, he was still a rookie to the game. Yeah, he spent a lot of time training. He trained for, what, three years before he had his first fight? Like, basically trained for three years. Um, and basically got the shit beat out of him on that first fight. The second fight, he did a little better, but he still lost. And he's been doing commentary since then. Uh, I haven't really been following UFC that much in recent years, uh, so I don't know what else he's been up to in regards to that. But... He has been out of the professional wrestling game since 2014 after his very public uh, departure from the WWE. And although there was that uh, story from a few months ago where it was 
rumored that he had made an appearance at an indie show somewhere wearing a mask and uh, performed a GTS to, to someone in the ring and then just ran out quietly. Uh, I do have a short little news video for that on the YouTube channel if you want to check that out. Um, you know, see what you feel about that. Um, and they also the big news, which is part of the reason why I'm deciding to talk about him on this week's podcast, uh, that he will be at StarCast uh, for All Out weekend coming up in Chicago at the end of August. Uh, which will be a very exciting show. You know, All Elite Wrestling has provided uh, some quality wrestling pay-per-views with their first three shows with uh, Double or Nothing in May, Fighter Fest in June, and then Fight for the Fallen a couple weeks ago. Um, so I expect All Out to be another top-notch quality wrestling program. And of course, many fans are speculating that with the big announcement that he will be at StarCast for that weekend, that everyone is speculating that maybe he will be on the pay-per-view itself. Which, yeah, it's very easy to think that. Uh, it's also very hopeful for a lot of us to think that, but... I believe, uh, if he truly is a man of his word, that he is done with professional wrestling. And that... 2014 would be the last time we would see his face on a professional wrestling sports entertainment show. Um, but now with CM Punk, I have been a fan of CM Punk for several years. Uh, the furthest back that I can remember hearing about CM Punk would be, I think, 20, not 20, 2003, 2004-ish, around that time is when I first heard about him. Um, it was when social media was still very new, so, you know, I was still learning my way through all of that as well, and, and YouTube was still in its infancy, um, but I remember first match that I ever got to watch of CM Punk, it was a, it was a triple threat match, I believe it was for IWA Mid-South, uh, and it was with Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, that was the first match I had, I had ever seen of CM Punk, and so again, I'd been hearing about him a lot, all over the internet on message boards and you know again the early years of social media you know with myspace and friendster uh and and the the original facebook you know the facebook uh as it was originally known as when it was when the facebook concept you know was created um uh, but yeah, and I came across that video. It was, yeah, again, it was, I, I, I believe it was IWA Mid-South. I, you know, pro I'm probably wrong on that, but it was Eddie Guerrero and, and Rey Mysterio in a triple threat match, or, or was it a three-way dance? Uh, either way, it was, in, tw in, 2000, in 2001, it was after Eddie Guerrero had been let go by the then WWF. Uh, Rey Mysterio had been wrestling on the independents uh, nationwide and worldwide after the closure of WCW earlier in the year, after WWF had purchased the company. Um, and then Mysterio, he, he was wrestling unmasked, and, but he was wearing the pants that he wore for the majority of his WWE run from the, the first time he was there. Um, uh, but it was a very, very good match, and for the first time of me getting to experience CM Punk as a professional wrestler, I became a fan instantly, and 
I wanted to learn as much about him as I possibly could, started searching for more videos of him, uh, came across the videos of him uh, versus Chris Hero, who is Cassius Ono in NXT, uh, and then eventually came across his work in Ring of Honor um, up until 2005, saw some of the matches that he had with Samoa Joe, which are some of the absolute greatest straight up wrestling matches I have ever seen. Still, to this day, 14 years later, 15 years later, however long ago it was, they are they really are some of the best pure wrestling matches I have ever seen. And if you've never seen them, I recommend go checking out uh, Ring of Honor's Honor Club uh, streaming service and checking out those matches. Or, or, if you, or I believe they actually have a, a DVD collection of CM Punk versus Samoa Joe, where it has all, all of the matches that they all of their matches that they had because uh, I think I think I can't remember if it was the first or the second match that they had in Ring of Honor that it was uh, rated five, perfect five stars by Dave Meltzer and it, everyone hyped it up it was the first American wrestling match to receive a five star rating by him uh, which I mean I guess was a big deal because you know a lot of people on the, especially internet wrestling fans put a lot of stock in what Dave Meltzer says uh, I don't. I think most of the time he's full of shit. He believes his own hype, and his scoring system is bullshit because uh, he'll say so much shit about WWE. But then if it hap if it's at if it's New Japan happening in the Tokyo Dome, he'll rate it as the greatest thing to ever happen at, in the history of everything. Uh, as George, as Bruce Pritchard loves to make fun of it, you know, like oh, you know, yeah, it's a three star, it's three stars. But if it happened in the Tokyo Dome, it'd be seven hundred and a quarter stars. Um, but anyways, I'm getting slightly off track, uh, but yeah, he was, I believe, Ring of Honor, in Ring of Honor from 2003 to 2005, uh, and he had his, his, had the original Summer of Punk in 2005 when he won the Ring of Honor World Championship, uh, and he was, it was supposed to be, it was fun, the thing about it, he was on his way out of the company, uh, he was, you know, the, the, when he won the championship, it was supposed to be his final match, or what they believed to be his final match, but he won it, and then he turned on the fans, um, basically saying that they were worthless, uh, that he was going to, to bigger and better things at the WWE, uh, even so, being just the cocky, arrogant heel so much, even to the point that he even signed his actual WWE contract, signed it on top of the Ring of Honor Championship, uh, and I believe it was, um, uh, Shane Hagedorn, I think is his name, that he had him like you know on his, he placed the belt on his back, and then wrote, he signed his name on the the contract on top of the championship. And you know, like if if you really want to be a heel and have the fans turn on you, that's a good way to do it. Sign the contract to the competing wrestling organization on the world championship of the company that you currently work at. Um, but then after that, you know, he had a series of matches as part of his farewell tour, I guess you could call it that, uh, where he lost the Ring of Honor title to Jamie Noble, who, you know, when he, when he was with Ring of Honor, which is Jamie Gibson, which is his real name. Uh, and then he had his final match with Colt Cabana, uh, which was an emotional, you know, emotional, emotional fight. Uh, it was a great match also. Um... And then he made his way to WWE, going down to the OVW developmental territory when they were still partnered with WWE. Spent about a year, year and a half-ish down there, 
you know, working under the, as you know, as they say, as they say, under the tutelage of the mad scientist Paul Heyman, um, and basically learned more or less the WWE style while in OVW, and got to learn about you know how to you know work wrestling on you know weekly television and all that stuff, and then eventually came up to the main roster as part of the WWE ECW in the summer of 2006. It was at the uh, ECW TV show at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which you know, most people will remember that show because it was main evented by Big Show and Batista, and the fans just shit on that match so, so hard, chanting, this is boring, you both suck, change the channel. And then that was the last time they did a show you know, at that at that building, which I mean, hey, you can't blame them for that. For that, but uh, I, as a fan of the classic ECW, I enjoyed that part of it. But yeah, he had his debut main roster match against uh, Just Incredible. Um, and it was awesome because they had been hyping it up with vignettes for about two months up to that point, uh, with the, talking about his tattoos and his discipline and being straight edge. Um, and then saying like that his addiction is wrestling and or that his drug is wrestling, his addiction is competition and something like that. Um, and then he had his spectacular debut and fans went nuts for it because he was, you know, he was the indie darling that we had been expecting to make a big impact in WWE. Uh, to get a impact, he actually had a very brief run in TNA wrestling, I believe in 2003. Uh, where he had a brief thing uh, with Raven and Mickey James. I think Mickey James was his manager while he was there. Um, uh, but she was, she, that's was when she was still called, I think, Alexis LeRae or something like that. And he had like a very, like, like we, I, get, I think it was like something with like Raven's flock or like a version of it when he was in TNA. And, and then when he left there, he basically swore he would never work for that company ever again. Um... Uh, but then, yeah, then he went to Ring of Honor, WWE, and then ECW, but with ECW, it's like, he was, like, they were basically building the product around him. At least it felt like that for a while, uh, when Paul Heyman still had most of the control for the ECW, WWE ECW show that they had from that time period. And, um, <clears throat> uh, and he and CM Punk was one of my favorite parts of that ECW show. Uh, when it's because it still felt enough like ECW where it could separate from from Raw and SmackDown. Um, obviously, we all know how that turned out, but uh, I mean, I I still watch because I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan, and if I, if I if there's a wrestling show to watch, I will watch it. Um, like you know, like I watch Raw, I watch SmackDown, um, I watch NXT, I watch NXT UK, I watch 205 Live. Uh, I finally am able to watch Impact Wrestling again through their twi official Twitch channel. Uh, I watch Ring of Honor every Sunday because the local ABC affiliate is owned by St. Clair Broadcasting. And St. Clair Broadcasting, uh, I guess, has the distribution rights, uh, television distribution rights for Ring of Honor. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Lucha Underground. I haven't watched that in a while. I, uh, I'm meaning to check that out. Uh, uh, MLW, I check out their shows all the time on YouTube. 
AEW, uh, which of course their their television debut will be coming up October 2nd on TNT. That's going to be awesome. Two hours of live wrestling every Wednesday uh, on TNT. <sighs> I very much look forward to that. Uh, I think it's two hours. So I don't know. I have to read the press release. Whatever. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I if if there's a wrestling show, I will watch it. Like another one, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. It's another one. Um, and that's a that's a great one. That if if you if you have a channel that airs Championship Wrestling from Hollywood in your in your city, you should definitely check it out because they have a lot of great wrestlers there. Uh, Peter Avalon, who's who was the male librarian in all Elite Wrestling, that's why that's why I first you know watched him, and he's he's pretty damn awesome in the ring. Um, and Eli Drake wrestled wrestles there some, from time to time as well. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Nick Aldis, uh, the N N NWA World Champion Nick Aldis, uh, I think he's still the champion. Uh, he wrestled there a couple of times. Um, uh, James Ellsworth, I think, went was there as well. Uh, David Arquette wrestled a couple of times there as well. Uh, they've they've had a lot of a lot of big names come through there. Um, um, but anyways, uh, CM the CM Punk he he did kind of flounder for a while uh, in the. Like off and on during that first year with ECW, like he had a, a nothing feud with Shannon Moore. Uh, he had another nothing feud with Mike Knox, where Kelly Kelly was like obsessed with him in a weird like stalker, creepy girl way. Um, and then he it's he started to pick up steam like in 2007 when he was in the Money in the Bank match at WrestleMania 23 uh, and had a good mo few good moments there. But then after that, you know, just kind of went downward again to like nothingness um and then uh, johnny nitro went over to ecw and he had a feud with cm punk over the ecw title that began at the night of vengeance night of champions pay-per-view because it was originally going to be punk and chris benoit or you know how that turned out um um and yeah nitro Showed up at the showed up as his replacement, won the ECW title, became John Morrison, and then they had uh, several matches throughout the entire summer, which were all very very good matches, culminating with I believe it was their fourth or fifth match where Punk finally won the ECW title from him, um, and he had a pretty good run with the title. He uh, defended against Big Daddy V at No Mercy in Chicago that year, which was a nothing match. Don't even know why they even had it because it was in Chicago. He was the hometown boy coming back to defend his first championship one in WWE, and he won by DQ because Big Daddy V just beat the shit out of him, and that was it. Um, and then you know he he went to see some some hopes uh, for him again in 2008 when he was in the Money in the Bank ladder match there. Uh, which it was supposed to be Jeff Hardy to win that one, but got suspended for a wellness policy violation. So then CM Punk was given that that spot where he won his first Money in the Bank contract, and then and eventually cashed it in on Edge uh, the night after Night of Champions in 2008, uh, and had a, a a decent enough world championship run for that first run uh he, he had a few good matches he had a uh good match with uh jbl at SummerSlam, which i mean a lot of people don't get, they give a lot jbl a lot of shit i thought he was awesome 
one of my it was one of my favorite heels from that period of 2004 until he retired in 2009. But yeah, but yeah, CM Punk he I don't know it's just like he they they did they, they made a big deal when he cashed in on Edge and won the world title from him, but just. I don't know, when that entire run, it's like he was play, basically playing second fiddle to to, every, to everybody else. E, to, to an extent, even playing second fiddle to the ECW title, if you can believe that. Take a drink real quick. <sighs> yeah. Um, but it's just... Uh, that, at that period, like, it, it felt like, you know, that they WWE just didn't really know what to do with him. And which is honestly the case for a lot of people, especially these days. But I was still a fan, and I was still supporting him. I was, you know, like I said, I'm a big CM Punk fan. I've always been a fan of his. Uh, and when I went to my first Ring of Honor show in 2007 the, for their first pay-per-view, they they were still selling old CM Punk merchandise, and I bought a CM Punk T-shirt that they had that it had the the straight edge logo on there, like like the tattoo across his stomach. They had that on the front, and on the back in big letters it said CM Punk. And I loved that shirt so much. I had it, I had had it for about 10 years, and then like a year ago, year, one or two years ago, I had to get rid of it because it had a lot of holes in it. Uh, same with the Ring of, my Ring of Honor t-shirt that I eventually had to get rid of because it was too many holes in it from, from wearing it too much. Um, uh, I even dressed up as CM Punk a couple for a couple of Halloweens. Well, technically one, but I did dress up as him for a, for a couple of pictures one year. Um, but yeah, in 2011, I dressed up as CM Punk, and now I'm even wearing the CM Punk Best in the World t-shirt right now while I'm recording this. Um, um, but then, you know, when he lost the world title to uh, at the Unforgiven pay-per-view, and wait, he didn't even lose it. He was taken out of the match and was basically stripped of the belt, uh, and that's when Jericho won it after his non-sanctioned, no-contest bout with Shawn Michaels, and they they had a match, a rematch, match like, a, like the week after or whatever, and of course Punk lost because Jericho held on to it for a couple months, um, and again CM Punk started to like flounder around a little bit, uh, had, won the tag titles with Kofi Kingston, and they were pretty good friends for a while. Uh, that was a pretty cool tag team, then lost that, won the Intercontinental title after a brief feud with William Regal, which was pretty fun, uh, lost that to JBL, but then he won the Money in the Bank match at WrestleMania 25, uh, um, being the first person to win it back-to-back -back like that, <laughs> and eventually he cashed it in on Jeff Hardy at the Extreme Rules pay-per-view later that year, and that led to a very uh, fun feud with between him and Jeff, where they had a lot, quite a few good matches, especially the ladder match that they had at SummerSlam. Was it was it ladder or TLC? That no, was a TLC match, yeah, at SummerSlam. That was a pretty awesome match, and main evented the pay-per-view, so CM Punk got his first pay-per-view main event with, with that feud with Jeff Hardy. Um, you know, and this was CM Punk's first heel run, which was pretty fun for that, uh, where he, you know, basically just showed his superiority to Jeff Hardy, because Jeff Hardy, you know, he was a free spirit, you know, we all know what that meant, <laughs> and I think even he said it like that, you know, you know, Punk being straight edge, he, he was very much promoting that, and, you know, basically, again, playing the cocky, arrogant heel, like, I'm clean, sober, 
you know, therefore I am better than you. And you know, I, you know, for a little while I actually used to tell people a lot of, because I legitimately am straight edge as well. And for a little while on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter, I used to piss people off by, you know, playing a character where I made everyone say, make everyone think that I thought that I was better than them because of it. I had a lot of fun with that. I really did. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I enjoy being the heel sometimes. Um, but anyways, uh, that was an awesome feud, and then he had his feud with The Undertaker after that, which kind of went nowhere. Uh, because I guess it was punishment because of all the stories that we keep hearing where, you know, Undertaker criticized him for not looking like a, like a world champion. And then Punk made the comment about, well, John Cena, you know, doesn't dress like a champion. And then Undertaker took that as, as oh, you think you're, you're better than John Cena kind of thing. And then, you know, after that, he had did a little, he did a little bit of nothing for a few months. And then came the creation of the Straight Edge Society, which... You know, that was when I really, again, went heel on people with being straight edge, and that was fun. I kind of miss doing that. I might try that again. Probably not. We'll see. But yeah, where he would, you know, go full, you know, arrogant asshole heel, I'm better than all of you, uh, with the straight edge society stable, uh, almost cult-like, with Luke Gallows and Joey Mercury and Serena. Um, and that that was a lot of fun as well. I enjoyed his his promos that he would do because he was it was basically just you know he was him essentially just not going by a script and he would just say all that stuff to piss off the fans because he knew he knew what would piss off fans. He 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 was he was a he was the kind of he was a wrestler that always had his his finger on the pulse of what the fans you know of what the fans wanted. And he knew how to piss them off. He was, he's, he's in, in a sense, he's like Chris. He, with that, he's like Chris Jericho, or or Roddy or how Roddy Piper was. knew exact, always knew exactly what to say to get the right reaction from the fans. Um, and then eventually, you know, Straight Society faded away because he had he had his feud with Rey Mysterio, where he wanted Mysterio's mask, and you know, put he put his hair on the line, you know. Shaved his head, wore that funky-looking, you know, straight-edge society luchador mask that Big Show eventually ripped off, and then you know, that's when straight-edge society just faded away, and Punk went solo again, and we, um, we, we, and they, I remember we were gonna get a feud between him and uh, Daniel Bryan, but then for whatever reason I can't remember that one didn't happen, uh, and then instead. Went to a feud between him and Randy Orton that went from that started at the Royal Rumble and went to WrestleMania and uh, Backlash, I think it was, or Extreme Rules, um, which that was a, a pretty fun feud as well. And their match at WrestleMania was an awesome match, and I remember getting into a lot of debates with people for that for WrestleMania 27, because I would say that for me, Triple H and Undertaker was the match of the night. But I, but I also would, I also said that CM Punk and Randy Orton was the best wrestling match of the night, and I got a lot of people arguing on my Facebook posts because I I was doing like live posts during the pay per view. I don't do that so much anymore. Um, I I'll sometimes do live tweeting, but I try not to give spoilers away because I know at least you know from my own experience I hate when people spoil shit for me, so I try not to spoil it for others. Um, but yeah, so, oh, just a couple awesome matches. Yeah, with Randy Orton, um, 
then kind of an oh yeah, and I forgot almost forgot yeah he was the leader of Nexus for but up until that feud with uh, Randy Orton, and then and then that went nowhere as well after that because uh, for whatever reason just Nexus him being the leader of Nexus just again faded away, went nowhere, nothing happened with it, and and then somehow I don't remember I gotta I gotta rewatch. I gotta rewatch some of those Raws from that time period because he got the title match with John Cena at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view that year, which is still my favorite CM Punk match because the match itself was phenomenal, uh, but also the story and the atmosphere behind it just like amplified it to like you know classic status. Um, and that is where the Best in the World T-shirt was first introduced. Uh, but this all, but the groundwork for all of this came from that famous pipe bomb promo where, you know, as he says it on his his doc, his documentary DVD, uh, he says you know that they gave him free reign to say what he whatever he wanted to say, and that's why that promo is as great and as classic as it is now, eight years later. So, um, and yeah, I I still sometimes. You know, check, watch that promo on YouTube and, or on the network. Just you know, relive that moment because when I when I was when I was watching that that live, like it just it felt it was something. It felt the atmosphere around it was just something that like you know like you had never seen or heard before on WWE TV or or at least hadn't heard and seen and heard on a very long time. Um, and again, like he just went off like you know saying. Because again, it also felt very real. Like it came from his heart. Like that was really what he was feeling, and it probably really was what he was feeling. Uh, where he's, you know, I'm not gonna quote verba verbatim what he said, but just like, you know, like, you know, I'm, I don't hate you, John. I actually like you a lot more than I like the others in the back. And then, you know, and then he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I hate, I hate that you, the idea that you're the best because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. The best wrestler in the world, best on the ring, best on the mic, and even on commentary, and then said that, you know, Paul Heyman saw in me what others didn't, and then that's where we got the Paul Heyman guy t-shirt as well, and then he said, you know, when I win the WWE Championship, I'm, I'm gonna split, just like Brock Lesnar did, and you know, said, I'll, maybe I'll go to, New, I'll take that belt and go to New Japan, or I'll go back to Ring of Honor, which was just, you know, awesome that he shouted out those companies. And was saying, you know, that you know that you know that, that this company will be better off when Vince McMahon's dead, uh, uh, but that it'll be ran by his idiotic daughter and doofus son-in-law. And then after that's when the when the mic got cut, and then he, then the show just cut to black, and that was it. And all wrestling fans all over the world watching that were just like, "Holy shit! What the fuck did I just watch?" And it it the the promo accomplished exactly what it what it wanted to accomplish because it got it got Twitter and Facebook and all social media talking, and here we are still talking to people still talking about it now eight years later it's it's amazing, um, and yeah like I said it led to that awesome classic match at Money in the Bank, uh, where in Chicago fans were ready to see their hometown boy win the WWE Championship in the main event. It was awesome. I watched it live. Of course, I was not there live, but I watched the pay-per-view live. 
sitting there in my chair just watching it just like oh it was it was the first match in a very long time at that during, up to that point that actually had me on the edge of my seat watching it from start to finish uh, the only other, the only most recent match that actually has done that was Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania, where it had me on the edge of my seat, where I just, you know, all my attention was on the match. That's what, how it was for me for this CM Punk versus John Cena match. And then they had the rematch at SummerSlam because after he won at Money in the Bank, he ran out of the building with the championship. And he was gone for two weeks, but then he made his return with, you know, the new t-shirt, uh, new-ish new gear, a uh, new theme song called Personality, which you heard a little bit of uh, about 15 minutes ago on this podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, had another great match with John Cena at SummerSlam. Triple H was the guest referee, and then uh, he... Uh, Powerbombed by Kevin Nash after the match, Alberto Del Rio cashed in his money in the bank on him, and then he was supposed to fight Nash at the Night of Champions pay-per-view, I remember, and I was actually looking forward to seeing how that match would have turned out, but uh, I guess, you know, Nash wasn't cleared to wrestle a full match at the time, so then they switched it to him versus Triple H, which, that was, it was a great match, it really was. You know, but a lot of fans, they shit on it because Triple H won, and they feel that it stopped Punk's momentum, which, yeah, it kind of did, but not really, because he, then he was he was back in the main event a month later um, in the Triple Threat Hell in a Cell match with John Cena and Alberto Del Rio, um, and then he had his match with Del Rio at Survivor Series in Madison Square Garden, where he recaptured the WWE Championship and had his historic fourth 434 run. 434-day run as WWE Champion, where we had great matches with Chris Jericho, great matches with Daniel Bryan, matches with Kane, more great matches with John Cena, a couple of matches with Ryback, and then his two matches that he had with The Rock that were pretty cool, um, and then his feud with The Undertaker that was, to me, was awesome. The match was itself was awesome. The build-up towards the match where, again, being the arrogant asshole heel with, with Paul Heyman in his corner. Um, and, uh, just... And, you know, no, this... And then, like, hearing that, you know, The Undertaker was the one that handpicked CM Punk for his WrestleMania opponents, like, to me, like, if I was a professional wrestler in the WWE and I found out that The Undertaker handpicked me as his opponent for WrestleMania... It would probably be the greatest honor of my career, more more so than winning the world championship. It really would be. Um, but apparently CM Punk didn't want the match, but he went ahead and did it anyways because, hey, at least I'm at WrestleMania kind of attitude, which I get it, but it's like you're, you're getting a big match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. I mean, try to, at least try to be excited, you know? Come on. I mean, because how many great matches has he, how many, truly, how many great matches has he had at WrestleMania? It's not as many as you would think. Like, yeah, he had, he had the matches with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Um, but besides those, not a lot, not that many of his matches were really that great. Like, I'll, I'll run through, like, Jimmy Snook, matches with Jimmy Snook at WrestleMania 7, okay. Jake Roberts at WrestleMania 8, okay. Giant Gonzalez at WrestleMania 9, <sighs> King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania 11, Nah. Diesel at WrestleMania 12? Really good. Match with Sid at WrestleMania 13? Pretty good. 
Kane at WrestleMania 14, awesome. Big Boss Man at 15, meh. Triple H at 17, great. Ric Flair at 18, great. Handicap with Adrian and Big Show at 19, eh. Kane at 20, okay. Randy Orton at 21, awesome. Mark Henry at 22, pretty good. Batista at 23, great. Edge at 24, great. Shawn Michaels at 25, phenomenal. Shawn Michaels at 26, phenomenal. Triple H at 27, awesome. Triple H at 28, phenomenal. Then CM Punk at 29, awesome. Brock Lesnar at 30, at 30, pretty good. Bray Wyatt at 31, pretty good. Shane McMahon at, th at 32, pretty good. And Roman Reigns at 33, okay. And then, you know, the quick match with John Cena at 34, which was just a lot of fun. So yeah, look at all those matches. Not a lot of them were really that great, you know, but still. If Undertaker picks handpicks you as his opponent for WrestleMania, you 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 just say thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be there. But for whatever reason, Sam Punk didn't didn't decide that he didn't want the match, but he did it anyway. And it but it gave us a great WrestleMania match, uh, great storyline building up to the match, and then he took three months off, uh, and then had a match with uh, Chris Jericho at. What, forgot what pay-per-view it was that June. It was in 2013. I, I don't remember. I just remember it was Chicago. And it was another great, great match. And after that, he kind of just, you know, kind of floundered here and there, bounced around. Had a feud where it was him and Daniel Bryan versus the Wyatt family, which, you know, started out hot, but then it went nowhere after that. And then, of course, Royal Rumble 2014 was the infamous night that he just decided, fuck it, I'm done. Because, you know, he found out that he was in a fight Triple H at WrestleMania 30. He did not like that idea, apparently. Uh, and then he was unhappy that that Batista was going to be the one winning the Royal Rumble match instead of Daniel Bryan. And, um, you know, and then also the apparent health issues that he's said he was having around that time period, according to the Colt Cabana podcast that he did later that year. And just all of that piled on one on top of the other, one on top of the other. Um, and he just walked out. Um, but then here's the thing that, you know, where, again, I love CM Punk. I'm a big fan of his, always will be, always have been. And his matches will always put a smile on my face. Um... And I will always watch that WWE documentary, you know, forever and ever. I've lost count of lost count of how many times I've watched it already. Um, and just, but the way some of the fans are, where they just blindly take his side on the whole thing in 2014, like, yeah, from the creative side, I understand. But then the whole they fired him on his wedding day, like, do you really believe that that was that? Like, I know sometimes WWE does some shady shit. They really do. But you really, you really f are going to fall for the whole they fired him on his wedding day thing? Because, one, my understanding is nobody knew that the wedding day, that, that was his wedding day, except for the people that were invited to the wedding. Um, and two, he walked out on the WWE. He was still a contracted WWE superstar. He violated the terms of his contract by, by walking out the way he did. So they had every right to fire him anytime they wanted. 
they were, and from my, and from my understanding, they were actively trying to bring him back to the company. They were trying to patch things up and bring him back, but he was adamant that he did not want to come back. So they sent him his 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 walking papers, his pink slip, whatever you want to call it, and yeah, happened to be on. He happened to receive it on his wedding day. Oh fucking well, he violated the terms of his contract. So he's the one. He's the one who really fucked up. They didn't. That's just my opinion on that. And then he went on to UFC to have a very lackluster UFC run. Yeah, I mean he's. I mean I'm, I'll, I'll give him the credit and respect for going ahead and doing that because I am not brave enough to do try that out myself, and and I won't pretend that I'm tougher than that. Is like, hey, I can I can go to the gym, I can train and do all that stuff, but to actually go into the, you know, to the to the octagon of UFC and actually have a, a physical MMA fight, I don't think I can do that. You know, I can do the the training that they do. I can you know punch the bag, do the kickboxing stuff, um, and all that stuff. I can do all that training, you know, but to have an actual fight, no, I I I don't think I would have the you know, mental strength to, to, to commit to that, let alone the physical. But, you know, he wanted to pursue that, all the more power to him and all the respect to him, but he has also been very vocal in not wanting anything to do with the professional wrestling industry, which is why everyone, I think it's funny that a lot of people are just so like, oh, he's, he's going to be at Star, he's at Starcast, he has to be at the All Out pay-per-view. Hey, he might be part of it. I would like to. I would hope that he will be. I, I want to see that happen. But if it doesn't happen, I'll be okay with that too. I'm. I'm not gonna cry. Oh, I'm not gonna cry over him not being a professional wrestler anymore. I'm happy to have the memories of him, of him as a wrestler that I have. I'm. Ha I'm. I'm content with the way his career was up until up until the point that when he decided to walk out on WWE. Um. And, you know, I know they always say, never say never in the wrestling industry, but he's probably one that I think will never come back to WWE. I know others have been through worse and have had worse done to them, and they still eventually return to the company. You know, like Bret Hart being the one that comes to mind, you know, because he got screwed, you know, out of, on, and it, like, legitimately got screwed out of winning his, his last match or whatever, however you want to put it. Um, but he returned... Uh, 12 years later, or 13 years later, I don't know. Um, you know, he was able to put that behind him and and make the return that fans had been wanting for years. You know, obviously it was a little late. He had had some, you know, he had had a few health issues along the way, so we weren't able to get the Bret Hart that we knew and love for so many years. But hey, Bret Hart forgave Vince and the and the company and made his return. Um, Getting inducted into the Hall of Fame twice, uh, and I'm sure eventually one day CM Punk will get a w get an offer to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Whether or not he'll accept it is a whole other thing. Um, you know, like I said, would I love to see him come back? Of course I do, but I'm not gonna. I mean, again, like going back to to the to Dave Meltzer and how I think he's full of shit. How many times has he reported every time that WWE goes and does a show in Chicago? So many times that when they would have a, a Raw in Chicago or an upcoming pay-per-view in Chicago, how many times did he say, "Oh, my sources, my sources are telling me that that CM Punk is gonna is gonna be there. CM Punk is definitely gonna return this time." <sighs> to quote Bruce Pritchard, "Fuck Dave Meltzer." 
Uh, and also just the way some of the fans are, I I might do a whole other video or podcast or whatever. Might I'll do an I might do an, a whole other separate thing talking about how how the how much the fans piss me off. I've, I've been talking about that off and on for a while, but not sure when I'm gonna actually do it. But if, I'm I'm sure it's coming. But just I don't know. Just I mean, like I said, I would love to see him at all out. But am I holding my breath for it? No. If he shows up, great. If he doesn't, that's fine as well. You know, if he never comes back to professional wrestling, that's fine. I'll just enjoy him, you know, giving halfway decent acting performances in B-horror movies and, you know, watching his appearances on on Mark Maron's TV show uh, while re watching the reruns on, on Netflix or whatever. Um, I'm still a CM Punk fan. I always will be. But I'm not holding my breath. Alright, and that is it for this week's edition of the Men Insights Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening and heard some stuff that you liked or whatever. And if you didn't enjoy the podcast, then well, thanks for tuning in anyways. But please be sure to tune in next week. Because... I will be discussing my thoughts and my predictions for WWE's 30th annual SummerSlam pay-per-view event uh, and whatever news that comes out between now and then I'll talk about on there as well. So I hope you will join me for that one. And also please be sure to check out my recent movie reviews that I've done on here, my retro film review for Lion King 1994 and then my film review for Lion King 2019. Um, and if you want, you can let me know what you think about both films. You can, you know, tweet at me about it, or, you know, if you're watching it on YouTube, you can comment on there or whatever. And also, please check out my second Retro Films review for the 1987 classic film, Masters of the Universe, starring Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella. Uh, and that should be up on the, um, on here by now, because again, I'm recording it's Monday night after Ron. um... Probably going to record this maybe tomorrow evening, Tuesday, and then get it up sometime, I don't know, before this one, but whatever. And if it's not on, if it's not on here by the time this podcast goes live, then, well, it's coming. Just just got to wait for it. <laughs> Anyways, um, as always, don't forget to subscribe to the Manitize Podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Radio Public, or YouTube. And follow me on Twitter at IamFositude for all podcast updates, all podcast information. If you want to chat with me about some stuff, that's cool. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Fositude so you can enjoy some of my pictures and memes and fun stuff that I post on there. And also follow me on Vero at Fositude where, like I say, Vero is the least dramatic social media website you will ever check out. Um, please do. It's pretty fun. Some some cool people on there. I mean, I, I, I'll i be honest, I, I only joined it because Zack Snyder is active on there, so I have a lot of fun following his posts. Uh, and also, feel free to support the podcast by donating on Patreon if you'd like to help improve the quality of the brand, quality of the podcast, help me, you know, buy some better equipment to record the podcast, uh, make a contribution to my Hall of Justice. As I say, that is the nickname for my little makeshift recording studio that I do this podcast on. The link to that will be in the description for this podcast. And also check out my 
t-shirt store from T Public. I have some a couple of nice t-shirts on there as well. Those link will be in for that the store will be in the description for the podcast. Uh, yeah, I have two t-shirt designs on there and also have a couple of stickers and uh, wall art for one of them. So if, you know if you want to support me by wearing, wearing my merchandise, please do. I'll, I will love you forever if you do. Uh, And as always, thank you all so much for tuning in and for subscribing. I love and appreciate every single one of you. I truly and genuinely do. And I hope you all enjoy your weekend and that you spend it with your loved ones if you can. This has been the Men in Tights podcast. I am Julian, and I will see you all next time. Bye.